Our text is taken from John 19, 28, but we're going to read Psalm 22 this evening. So we turn to Psalm 22. In John 19, we have Jesus, the account of Jesus' death on the cross, and we have in verse 28, one of his cross words. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. That's our text. From Psalm 22, we have a messianic psalm here, speaking of that thirsting. We read the first 19 verses of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and as a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They took, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, John 19 is where we find our text. Just to read a few verses there in the context of it. Verses 25, John 19, beginning at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. 
After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. We have here the fifth crossword that Jesus spoke. I thirst. Now, in first glance, we would be inclined to find in these words not so much significance, not so much meaning. Most of the previous words that Jesus spoke on the cross had significance. No other man could have said what he said. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy woman. These were profound words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But now we get to this word, and this is a word that most of us have spoken at one point or another in our lives. We hear it all the time from our children. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, Ma. I thirst. And so what is this? More than just the word of a thirsty man. There's far more here, beloved. This word is recorded significantly only in the gospel account of John. If you think about that, that's striking. The different apostles came at the same situation from different perspectives. And John's approach throughout always has to do with the divinity of Jesus, to set forth how Jesus is divine. And so we ask that question, how does this word point out Jesus' divinity? If anything, this word would merely be pointing out that Jesus is a real man. John takes pains every opportunity he has to show the divinity of Jesus Christ and his glory. So that that fact alone indicates to us there's something more that meets the eye here. Now here's the one of whom John spoke. John said, All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that hath been made. John 1 verse 3. So that John speaks of Jesus as the creator of the universe. He's the one that created and fashioned and formed everything. He transformed water into wine. He's the one who multiplied the five barley loaves and the two small fish to sufficiently feed a whole multitude and 12 baskets still remain. How then do we understand this cry, I thirst? Beloved, this is the cry of one who knew and loved the scriptures. And that's the significant. The scriptures required of him that he humble himself even unto death. And when we hear him cry, I thirst, we realize this cry was born out of self-humiliation. He was concerned about the scriptures and obedience to God's word. And so he poured himself out like water, as Psalm 22, verse 14 stated. Psalm 69, verse 21 states, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. How would that be fulfilled? How would it be that Jesus would receive that vinegar? It would be in the way of Jesus making this cry from the cross. So that this cry is proof that Jesus was the Messiah. 
Because in the Old Testament, Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, among others, spoke of the thirst, the agony of the Savior, and the ways in which wicked men would try to satisfy his thirst. Very practically speaking, Jesus cried this cry so that you and I would never have to thirst as he did. And we look at that as the wonder of the gospel here present in this text. I thirst, noting an unquenchable thirst, and secondly, the means to living water. We read in our text here, after this, it's striking that that's often repeated through this account of John, of the cross and the crucifixion. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. It's important that we put this in the context as to when it took place on Calvary. The timing of the word is very clear from the gospel narratives. Matthew 27, verses 47 to 49, records that immediately after Jesus' fourth crossword, and his fourth crossword was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Immediately after that, the crowds responded in mockery, and they gave him a sponge with a hyssop reed filled with vinegar. So even though Matthew doesn't speak of this specific word, clearly that's the context of which Matthew there is speaking. Similarly, Mark 15, verse 36, states that the individual who held the sponge on the reed joined in mockery. So if these actions were immediately following the word of our text. I thirst. And these actions followed right after the fourth. Now you remember when the fourth, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me came. It was at the close of the three hours of darkness during which Jesus had subjected himself to the horror of hell itself. And as now the lights were coming back on again, so this would have been about three in the afternoon, Jesus cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then, soon after, I thirst. And then the mockery and ridicule then begins with regard to putting vinegar on a sponge and reaching it up to his mouth. This word then is to be understood in close connection to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we understand that, the immediate occasion. Coming out of the pit of hell, Jesus is dry. He is parched. The horror of hell is not just soul and spirit, but also body. And whether or not hell is actual fire, the suffering, the torment of hell is real. And throughout the Bible, we find evidence of that suffering and that torment. We read here in verse... 14 and 15 of Psalm 22. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth. In Psalm 69, another messianic psalm, versifications of which we sang, verse... Verses 1 to 3. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire. 
where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. Again, we have in, in verse 7, Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. Verse 9, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. Going on in verse 21 of that chapter, the verse that we quoted, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Then another passage in Luke 16, which constitutes a parable that Jesus spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. We have there Jesus giving an account of the horror of hell. Lazarus finds himself in heaven, the rich man in hell. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So there in Luke 16, verses 23 and 24, we have explicit reference to the horror of hell and the suffering of hell that constitutes this deep thirst. We know that hell is a place of everlasting destruction. It's where worm and scorpion don't die. It's a place that's often characterized in the Bible as a lake of fire that burns to all eternity. Jesus is led into that torment. He's poured out like water. He's cast into that lake that burns with fire forever. And he experienced all of that during that three-hour time period on Calvary. That's the explanation for this crossword. He was thirsty. Now, there could have been physical aspects as well to that thirst. Was there a fever going on in his body? Likely there would have been. Doctors have studied the situation of those who were crucified and have come to the conclusion that often those who were crucified did experience infections in their wounds that resulted in fevers that quickly came upon their bodies. And that fever then would also contribute to dehydration. All of that intense thirst. But we don't minimize the thirst now that Jesus endured. This wasn't primarily physical. This cry, I thirst, was unlike the cry of any man, woman, or child ever. You and I have been thirsty, but we don't know the thirst that Jesus endured. And never will we have to experience it by the wonder of God's grace. This was the thirst of a parched body hanging on a cross that had just endured the horror of hell. He had been plunged into that dry and thirsty land where there is only the eternal flame of the wrath of God. And having experienced that wrath of the living God of heaven and earth, he cried out, I thirst. That thirsting was necessary only in the way of Jesus searing himself by the wrath of God could he be our redeemer and our deliverer. And that comes out in the text, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
The word fulfilled here is the same word that later on is used in verse 30 as it is finished. Jesus would later say, it is finished. It is fulfilled is the same word. All the things that the Messiah came to accomplish had now been fulfilled. And that's the idea there of it is finished. He had accomplished everything for which God had sent him. And now, having accomplished all of that, his suffering is about to end, and he then will commit his soul to the Lord. But before he can do that, he must cry, I thirst. That word is necessary for the fulfillment of Scripture. The outstanding obedience of Jesus is seen throughout his whole life that he loved the Word of God, and he lived according to the Word of God. He was devoted to God's Word. And he was so committed and so devoted to the Word of God that at every occasion, he saw to it that the words that had been spoken in the Old Testament concerning him were fulfilled. Repeatedly throughout his ministry, we read of that. He did something. Why? So that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. He loved the Word, and he knew that that Word had to be fulfilled in his life. Now as he hung on the cross, that same consciousness remained. Now this is wonderful and marvelous, beloved. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's just suffered the most intense suffering that any man has ever endured. And he's thinking about the Scriptures. He's thinking about God and doing the will of his Heavenly Father. While his body is racked with pain, while he's experiencing the blackness of the darkness of the pit of hell, he's thinking about the Word of God. Now we already have seen, if we look at the previous Lord's, the previous words on the cross, how he was concerned about others. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's concerned about the thief on the cross. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. His love is displayed toward his mother and toward his beloved disciple John. Behold thy mother. Behold thy son. He was concerned about those who were around him at the cross. But not only was he concerned about people, he's concerned about God and the word of God. There are those who say that the previous words of Jesus on the cross had to do with his concern about others. But now his focus is on himself. That's incorrect. That's a misunderstanding of this word. Indeed, he was thirsty, and he shows in this word his great, deep need. But this word is a word that was spoken in the deep consciousness of the need to fulfill God's word. The matters with which he is concerned are relatively minor, we would say. Why did he have to say, I thirst? Why was it necessary that he be given vinegar? We would see minor details so that if this had to be skipped, we could still read the Old Testament and understand it rightly. No, beloved, not for our Lord. These details in the Psalms had to be realized because these passages were talking about the Messiah. And he was the Messiah. And so now, as the Messiah, he must fulfill these messianic Psalms. Jesus knew Psalm 22, verse 15, which we read. He knew Psalm 69, verses 3 and 21, which we read. 
And in order for these scriptures to be realized, Jesus willingly not only had to lay down his life, but he had to express his thirst so that Psalm 69 would be fulfilled concerning, they gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So concerned Jesus is that God's word be realized and that it be abundantly evident that he is the promised Messiah. There can be no mistake made. These psalms are messianic. They're speaking of the Messiah. And now look, that is precisely what is taking place. So that Jesus here leaves not only the Jews without any excuse, but he leaves us without any excuse. Who is the promised Messiah? Jesus of Nazareth. He is the promised Messiah. You're familiar with the fact that the Old Testament testified concerning almost every aspect of Jesus' life and ministry. The theme of the Old Testament is Christ, the Messiah, his suffering, and his subsequent glory. And we see that laid out so beautifully throughout the Old Testament. And this, beloved, again, is another indication that the Bible is the Word of God. How is it that all of these different authors would write all of these things that would later be fulfilled precisely in the life of the Messiah? For instance, his birth from a virgin was prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Where would he be born? Even you children know. Micah 5, verse 2. Bethlehem Ephrata. Though thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He had to be called out of Egypt, according to Hosea 11, verse 1. And that took place when Herod took the throne, was going to kill all the babies, and God warned Joseph and Mary, go to Egypt and stay there until I inform you that Herod is dead. His sorrow and his suffering would continue his whole life long, according to Isaiah 53, verse 3. He would be rejected of men. He would later enter into Jerusalem in humility on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday that we celebrate today. Zechariah 9, verse 9. His garment would be taken from him and people would cast lots for it as we read in Psalm 22. His hands and his feet would be pierced. Again, Psalm 22, Psalm 31, Psalm 34, Psalm 69. No bone would be broken. A sword would be thrust into his side and pierce his side. He would thirst. He would be mocked. He would suffer in hell. All those Psalms laying out the things that would take place with regard specifically to the suffering of the Messiah. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, according to Isaiah 53, verse 11. He would then stay in the grave. How long? For three days. Just as Jonah had been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. His ascension into heaven was prophesied throughout the Psalms again outstanding of which is Psalm 68, but many of the Psalms that he would ascend into heaven. And then what would he do? 
On Pentecost, he'd pour out his spirit. Joel chapter 2. So all of these things were carefully laid out throughout the Old Testament. And now as Jesus came, he's cognizant of that. And he views it as necessary to fulfill all of those Old Testament scriptures that it might be abundantly evident, I am the promised Messiah. Now the suffering is almost over. This one thing yet is necessary. Jesus takes so seriously the testimony of Scripture that he cannot die. He cannot say, it is finished. Nor can he commit his life to God until first he say, I thirst. He knew that he wasn't going to get a refreshing drink. He knew exactly what was going to happen when he said, I thirst. And yet he did it. That too is amazing. Hadn't he suffered enough? Hadn't his suffering been as enduring as any man could possibly handle? And yet now, by saying, I thirst, he knows he's going to receive a drink of vinegar mixed with gall that's only going to hasten that thirst. In theology, sometimes a distinction is made between Jesus' active obedience and Jesus' passive obedience. And sometimes there's an attempt to say his active obedience refers to his life, his life of perfect obedience to God's commandments, walking in accordance with God's will. And then his passive obedience would more be while he was hanging on the cross and the suffering that he endured then at the hands of wicked men. But we see here how that distinction breaks down. Jesus' obedience was always active. There's no passive character to it. He actively stayed on the cross. And even in his suffering on the cross, Jesus is active. He's concerned about the scriptures. He knows he cannot possess the full victory until every last detail is realized. And now he actively offers himself according to the scriptures. Now, beloved, this is a powerful word to you and to me. How important is the Bible to you? How important is it that you keep the words of Scripture? Our Lord and our spiritual head honored the Scriptures and kept them in such a high regard that his life was lived according to the Bible. We as his followers must do the same. We live according to every word of Scripture. We don't take and leave some of it. We don't say, but this one, that's rather insignificant. God's people are a people who love the Word of God, who read that Word and seek to walk according to every aspect of the instruction that God gives therein. Jesus was concerned that every jot, every tittle be fulfilled. And His people are not careless with regard to Scripture. We may not be neglectful of the Word of God. We may not be a people who are critical of the Bible. A people who don't care whether or not we keep or maintain sections of Scripture. The body of Christ reflects the head. And as the head took seriously God's Word, so we carefully searched the Scriptures We study them so that we know the way in which we are to live, the way we are to walk. 
We search the scriptures so that we make sure that we honor God in what we do and in what we say and that we honor him to the fullest degree possible. Even in the depths of suffering, Jesus has respect to the scriptures. And ultimately, beloved, we see this humbling truth. This was for our redemption. Jesus spoke this word, I thirst, in order to make sure that we would be redeemed and we would be delivered from the bondage of sin and death. This was the means to living water. We take that as our second point. It was necessary that Jesus thirst. Now Jesus initially, as you remember, his account on the Calvary refused that which was offered to him. A type of a narcotic was offered to him early on after he was hanging on the cross. And Matthew 27 verse 34 records Jesus refusing that wine that was mixed with gall. That drink was intended to 